Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is Jack Young, your host, and today we have got Joe Perticone Jr. on the podcast. We've had Joe Perticone Sr. on the podcast, but never Joe Perticone Jr. on the podcast. But uh, he is in town. We're going to be talking about uh, being a chaplain in the U.S. Army. And also, Joe, you have a strong connection to this church, don't you? Yes, sir. Yeah, back in 2010, I came here. Pastor Gugino gave me a great opportunity to be like a volunteer youth pastor, uh, youth director, and then uh, left for another church and then came back here to be the youth pastor again. So a lot of connection here. Yeah, and a full time. And that's when the church just moved into the area. What years were you here? I was here from 2010 to 2012 and then from 2014 to 2016. So I had like a two-year gap. So there's four years total. Yes, sir. Did, now, did that seem like a um, that you were here for a long time? It did. Yeah, there's a lot of faces here that I, I still remember. And even though I was only here for two, four years, um, I just feel like I, I, I got to know people very well. Well, I, I worked in Michigan in the ministry for two years, and it was right out of Bible college. And then for a year of that, two years, I was an interim pastor, so that might have had something to do with it too. But those two years seemed like eternity. I mean, a lot of them in a bad way but I was like fully immersed in the ministry. And then a lot of times you're working in the ministry. Uh, people might see you Sunday to Sunday. So you're really like in a year's time, you're there for 52 days. But uh, when you're in the ministry, it's like 365 plus. You're like constantly thinking about it and interacting with people. So being here for four years and then particularly like as a young man trying to learn the ministry and the you know tricks and the trades, uh, it can, four years is, is, is a pretty long time. Yes, sir. Especially when you're young and malleable. Yes, yes. Um, now, are you glad you worked at a church before you became a chaplain? Absolutely. Uh, well, it's one of the requirements, but that wasn't in the back of my head. At that point, I was just focusing on being an Army Reserve chaplain, and I wanted to stay in civilian ministry you know, for a while. So that wasn't even part of my plan. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely learned a lot and groomed a lot from Pastor Gugino and other folks, Pastor Major, uh, Pastor Sanchez, um, so I, I learned a lot from those guys, and I'm glad I had that opportunity. It was very valuable. Oh yeah, yeah. So what what um what were some of the big uh, main differences? There's got to be uh, a big difference between being a reserve chaplain, you know, weekend warrior, uh, to being full time army chaplain. Yeah, you think like I would think back then, like the difference wouldn't be that big. You know, going from being a reserve chaplain into active duty would just be a nice, smooth transition. But it was a it was a huge gap, huge knowledge gap, huge experience gap. The way of life is totally different. Uh, the people that are that you're ministering are totally different because the people in the reserves they have jobs, they work mm -hmm. forty hour jobs, they have families that they so go they think home. more like a civilian than they, they do a soldier. They really do, and they even look they look different going <laughs> sure. from reserve to active duty for sure. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit more dad bods in the reserves than uh -huh. active duty. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. And um, so what made you want to go in full-time? It was really interesting, and, and I felt really bad about it at the time. It was in 2015, late 2015. Uh, I got an email from a doctor, an Army doctor, which doesn't make really any sense. But they reached out, and they said, hey, we're looking for active-duty chaplains. Are you interested? And I thought to myself, I, you know, I love being here at Lighthouse, but why not? I just threw my name in the hat. Mm -hmm. So I, I responded, yes, yeah, sure, put me on the whatever list to look over whoever can get in. 
And uh, they reached back out in early 2016 and said, you've been accepted after active duty. So that's kind of how that went down. But I was not looking for it. I think that it just fell in your lap, huh? Yep, yes, sir. And, uh, and you since then have, have felt like, that, you know, that was the Lord. Y- yes, sir. Yeah, because why wouldn't, I, I just feel like, why would a medical officer reach out about chaplaincy unless the Lord kind of laid it on their heart to do so? And you've been full-time chaplain for how many years now? So t- since 2016, so seven years. Seven years. And um, seven years for most people is not a long time, but seven years in the military is a long time. Yes, sir. Because you've seen a lot of people come and go, mm-hmm. and um, and you've you've got to meet probably hundreds, if not thousands, of different people. Absolutely. And um, so, t- tell us like a little bit about where you've been stationed at and the differences. You've been in um, you've been in uh, Fort Bragg, and no, Fort Irwin, Irwin, Fort Carson, Fort Irwin's in California. Yes, sir. And it's like in the middle of the desert, right? Yeah. There's no, nothing no. around it. Absolutely. I've heard about it. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've heard that. Yeah, that's a and and so what? So that was that your first duty station? My first duty station. Welcome to the army. Okay, so tell us about that. So that's it's also a, I think it's a funny story. And you know, we're just chatting. So um, when they said congratulations, you're going after duty. Wait a couple of weeks, and we'll tell you where. So they call me up, and they're like, Joe, good news, you're going to California. I was like, Yes, <laughs> I'm going to California. And they said, it's, it's Fort Irwin. I was like, cool. I had no idea what Fort Irwin was, where in California it was. So after we hung up the phone, I Googled where it was, and in the Mojave Desert. I was like, what in the world? And when we drove there, when my wife and I flew from New York all the way to California with our two kids, and we're driving from LAX to Fort Irwin, which is like a three-hour drive, yeah. eventually it goes from like, you know, metropolitan Pop- population area to just nothing, just like sand and rocks. Because it's like an hour across the desert, right? Yes. Yeah, from, from the From civilization. To Fort Irwin is about an hour drive. Okay. It's wild. And, and so what was it like being stationed there? So it's very austere. You're isolated. You're like an, on an island, but not a nice island. Um, but it's a very small community. So there's, because it's not a large installation, the primary purpose of that installation is for people to come in. So other organizations come in and they train there. It's the National Training Center, NTC. So how long is the average soldier at Fort Irwin? Well, people that are stationed there, probably about three years. Okay. And that would be typical of any base, right? Yes. Two to three years. Two to three years is like the typical range. Okay. So you have people that are stationed there for the three-year period. Now, since it's so isolated, do you you feel that that was beneficial for like the Lord's work since there's not a lot of, because it wasn't like you were like in Hollywood or something like that where there's something, you know, or LA where there's something to do every single weekend. Absolutely. So like from what I know a little bit about you, you were up near Fort Drum Mm -hmm. and you were a pastor up there. Uh, at Fort Irwin, there is no local pastors. And there's no local churches. So the the percentage of people that are driving off base to go to church is yeah. like very low. So you have a captive That's audience. Yeah. So your chaplain ministry is just thriving. So it was a really good experience being there. And that's how I picture the chaplaincy too is like, you know, you know, historically is that the men go off to war and then they're, you know, local pastors can't minister to them. And then there's, there's these chaplains that will go and be a minister to the soldiers as they're away from everybody else. And so that was probably a good experience there uh, spiritually. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Not entertainment wise. No, not definitely. And and so you were at that base for how long? From 2016 to 2019. Okay. And then you went to Colorado? Fort Carson. Yes. Fort Carson, Colorado. Now people like that. Beautiful. A lot of people retire there, mm-hmm. things along that nature. So what was the differences in, in those two places? So immediately when you're driving from California to Colorado, you're just going through some beautiful 
like Nevada, Utah, just beautiful, beautiful places. And then you get towards Colorado, and just mountains are just everywhere. So it was a it was a huge difference. Snow capped mountains in the middle mm-hmm. of July. It was it was we literally drove through when we drove through. Um, there was about two or three inches of snow in July. Yeah, on the ground. It was yeah. it was mind blowing. I was shocked, but it was beautiful. Yeah. America the Beautiful was written in Colorado on Pikes Peak. So. Yeah, kind of gives you a picture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you listen to a lot of John Denver on the way in, and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was singing about the Rockies, uh, and then um, and then what was ministry like there? So that was a little different. They they placed me because of my brigade that I was in. We they assigned you by brigade. I was assigned to like a general Protestant type service, and it was it was super lame. <laughs> it was just a bunch of retirees, maybe like a handful of soldiers, yeah. which. Going from Fort Irwin, where it was, was packed out, full service, all soldiers, like very few retirees, and, and then probably the attitude of the service was like people really spiritually seeking. There in, in California, they're serious yes. about church, doldrums in Carson. In Carson, Don't so pro- probably the more serious Christians found there's probably great churches around that area. I imagine there's some, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they opted out of the um, the chapel. Yes, yeah. Most soldiers would go off base, but the. Yeah, uh, diehard retirees. They would. They were loyal to the chapel ministry. Yeah, and it's the retirees, and they they want to go to see the other retirees so they can talk about the glory days Absolutely. of the army and mm-hmm. things like that. Yes, sir. So, so that was a challenge for you. It was definitely different, for sure. Yeah, um, and and so the so the military chapel, they typically set up and the chapel services on Sunday. They they set up. Um, what they have like. What what services do they have on Sunday? So they'll have a general Protestant. They'll have a more contemporary Protestant. They'll they might sometimes have a liturgical, but that one's not usually well um, attended. So they usually just go to general Protestant. So you're kind of getting that flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll have an LDS. They'll have a Samoan, which is interesting. So no kidding, I, n- I did not know that Islander presence in the army, and they have like their own service, and it's pretty okay. pretty cool. They'll have a um, gospel service. So yeah, it's okay, more cultured. Yeah. Um, Catholic, yeah, yes, sir. And and so the um, so you will be assigned one of those services. Yes. And is it on a rotating schedule, or is it like every every Sunday? So they they say that they want you at that chapel the majority of the Sundays out of the month. So four out of five. That's what they anticipate you being there. Okay, you'll you'll attend. How many of those would you be like bringing the sermon? So it depends on how large the pastoral team is so at Fort Carson we had about six people so I was I was preaching like once every two months oh okay mm-hmm. um and so in in the chapel services um uh, with those rotation of speakers is it um there's not continuity oh. for the people attending there yeah it's exactly what you would think you got a, a Methodist one week a Presbyterian the next week a Lutheran the next week and then some indie Baptist the next week so so how do you feel like you're personally contributing to that when you when it's your turn to speak or like when you're attending? Uh, what do you feel like that your role or your your ministry is when you do that? Well, this kind of full disclosure, I just um, I, as I developed in my active duty chaplaincy, like I, my, the ridges of my theology got a little bit rounder, um, and I started to think bigger picture. So when I got up there, I didn't look at it as an opportunity to like convert everyone to be an independent Baptist. I got up <laughs> right. there to, to feed the people that came. There. Yeah. So I, yeah. From the word of God. Yeah, yes, sir. Give them an appetite for scripture. This is my opportunity to share from the word of God. Truth. Um, yeah. And then I, I imagine that some chaplains are more uh, popular than others. Yes. Yes. 
Not everyone. You, you know, guy uh, Brian Hargis, yes. Chaplin. Yes. Okay, he he was up at Drum. Um, very cool guy. Uh, he was uh, he was attached to a group of special forces when he was deployed, and uh, he taught knife fighting. He was big bodybuilder, and uh, he was a good preacher. He did a gospel service on drum, and um, yeah, he was he was pretty he was pretty popular. We had another guy in our church, um, and they they attended the chaplains did and they attended when they could. Uh, some could attend almost every Sunday depending on their job. We had a family, I think it's called Family Life. Family Life Chaplain. Fa- family Life Chaplain, Herman Cheatham. And he attended our church quite often. I know he, he's probably out. He's probably retired now. Um, man, I can't think of the other guy's name. But you would have chaplains attend your service yes. quite often? Yeah, they would. Were they helpful? Yeah, they're always good guys. Okay. Um, some are more involved than others. I, and then there there is some... Um, Chaplains, it's funny that, that they do have like a chip on their shoulder. I'm not gonna li- like, and like, you know, oh, because I'm a chaplain, <laughs> or yeah, or you like, mean. you know, you're, you know, you know, just, um, I don't know. It, it, well, they're like federal government employee type of demeanor, mm-hmm. as far as you know, whatever. And I, and I always thought, man, you. You get out here yeah. in the real world, you you try <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but that's that's not all of them. Some of them were like that, and then some of them were very helpful, and some of them it was truly a calling in a ministry. Like for instance, that Brian Hargis. Um, I mean, he saw a bunch of people saved, and he was really good with the gospel, um, even on deployment. Um, and and again, you know, when you're in the chaplaincy, a lot of times you have to. There, there is going to be some things you're just going to have to hold your nose, um, and but you know he would, he would, um, like when he was deployed, like he would have a lot of um, professions of salvation. Uh, he would baptize people. I don't know what they would be baptized into or be a member of or whatever. But I mean, he had been, and that's his call on that. Um, and and there was others that that uh, were truly man. This wasn't just a job. Which I think some of them can be a job. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I've heard you know, you know story, story, you know stories about chaplains that uh, you know, oh yeah, and a chaplain, he's my drinking buddy, and yeah. you know we go and so there's like no difference, but it is it is a job uh, for them because mm-hmm. there is the security and the benefits of yeah. being in the military and uh, working towards retirement and. Um, you know, and then and then your duties as a chaplain, like throughout the week, are, um, I guess some some guys would like it, some guys wouldn't. But like, what are your duties throughout the week? What would your week, a general week, look like as a chaplain? So, unfortunately, the the majority of our time is spent doing like staff stuff. So, like, uh, the one one way we describe is like we have these this rank right here, and we have a cross right here. But the majority of the time, we're focused on this rank, and unfortunately, not so much on this. Sure, throughout the week. It is like government. That. It is a bureaucracy. So we're working for a commander and an XO, mm-hmm. just like a, a corporation of some sort. And they have a mission. They have an intent. That doesn't necessarily mean like what the church wants. Yeah. So uh, as a good staff officer, we're trying to help support them into whatever that mission is. And then we do our Christian-y thing on the side. Yeah. So so like, um, and then you have you have staff that works for you, correct? I have one, one staff member. And is that a chaplain's assistant? Yeah, so it used to be called a chaplain's assistant. Now they call him religious affairs specialist, which is such a really, 
But I think I think they felt like they were being de- degraded by call, being called a, a chaplain it. assistant. Like I'm an assistant to the assistant to the chaplain. Oh, you got to get a more of a professional um, name. Yeah. Okay. Religious affairs specialist. And so, what do you uh, so wh- what do you guys typically like do during the work week? Is it like hard to explain? No, no. Like so, him and I will go out and we'll walk around and talk to people. He makes good connections. He because sometimes because of our officer rank, soldiers aren't always apt to talk to us about their issues out on the streets where they will with that other specialist or private. Uh, and then they kind of tell me about it and then we go out. But anyways, um, so yeah, we go out and we talk to people to see how they're doing so that they know that we're, we're there for them. Uh, try to yeah. create appointments. Yeah. Um, and, and then, um, do you have like counseling appointments? Yeah. So numerous, probably like six, seven a week on, on average. Sure. And, um, the people that come to see you for counseling, what are they usually um, counseling with you about? So it's, I would say the the biggest issue in the in the military is marital issues. Okay, that's the number marital. I, I would I would guess that as well. And then like depression. Yeah, that would be number two. Isolation. So how come? Now I understand the marriage thing, because um, I know people that go to, go to the chaplain for uh, marriage counseling. So that would be a big one. Now with the anxiety, depression, which is really epidemic. It is in the military record number of suicides and things like that. So it's a really, it's a real issue in the military. Um, how come they would go to you versus they have a huge staff of psychologists, psychiatrists, um, medical professionals. Now, how come they would choose to you to go to you um, for counsel? Or is that probably typically on top of their normal counseling? So these these other entities, like, so, yeah, we have the behavioral health, the psychologist, psychiatrist team. Then there's also the military family life counselor. They kind of help us as well. But the thing that we have that all these other agencies don't have is we have 100% confidentiality. And that's, like, our selling point. Um, okay. w- that's one thing, too. We are embedded in that unit. So the BH, they're, they're an entity that supports our unit. But I, I wear their patch. I'm in their unit. So yeah. there's, like, a connection. There's, like, a brotherhood there. Yes. So this is my chaplain. I'm going to go talk to my chaplain about what, whatever I'm dealing with. Yes. Um, well, t- well. Those, so the two main problems in the, in the military, and I, I'm interested in this because I, I pastor a military church for nine years. And so, I mean, it was right out the gates of Fort Drum. I, you know, our church was, pr- you know, probably about 90% military. And um, so the, there is the anxiety, depression, big. And then also... Um, Let's talk, talk about, uh, I, I think it's really cool, but when I was in a military church, I don't think there's any other segment of society that has that many young married mm, yes. couples. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is nothing to have, like, there's a lot of 20-year-olds that are married, or, you know, so, some guy from Texas married his high school sweetheart at 18 years old sure. and joined the Army because that's, that's the way he could support his family. I think marriage also... in wouldn't you say it's incentivized in the yes. fact that you can move out of the barracks? Mm-hmm. So would you you want to live in a you know in a barracks with a bunch of other you know uh, hundreds Absolutely. of other you know stinky guys, or do you want to you know smell perfume every night when you come home? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they they get that a basic housing allowance. You could be like a, a private and move out if you're married, yep. and you get basic housing allowance. Um, and I, I really think it's probably more natural for people to get married at a young age instead of waiting until they're 35 or 45 to move out of their mom's basement. Yeah. Um, so 
but with uh, marriage problems in the military, wh- what do they mostly stem from, do you think? Because, like what you're saying, we have these 18, 19, 20-year-olds getting married. They're just not mature, especially especially gentlemen, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, we just oh, yeah. at a different rate. Oh, yeah. And they're just, they're still a teenager, and they're marrying this woman, and she has expectations, and he's and just... he's coming home playing video games. He's coming home playing video games. It's amazing. <laughs> Video games is like in the top three. Like, Isn't that so funny? It's wild. Alcohol, alcohol Vi- and video games, and then obviously like infidelity. But yeah. those are the big three. Video games. Up there. Um, I I would think too, as well. A lot of these kids come from broken homes. Uh, I think in the military, the uh, military, the people who are really attracted to it and love the culture a lot of times had no um, good structure in their life, and the, the army is a structure for them. They're like your parents. They tell you, okay, go stand over there and wait for orders uh, type thing. And so it gives structure to their life. So you have a lot of kids coming in there, and they're escaping um, their home life. And so they find somebody, they get married to them, and they don't have in their mind or any kind of – like you came from a good home, I came from a good home. So there is a structure about how two people get along inside the home. Well, they don't even have that. They've never seen a normal home. Yes. So absolutely. So so what is your uh, a lot of your you know basic counseling entail? Well, if I could just touch on that, I wish the army would do a survey for the recruiting because I have an assumption, I have a, a guess, an opinion. Um, the level of patriots that are joining at eighteen years old. Is a, I would say is a very low percentage. Uh, okay. People that are 18, they're like, I'm going to go be in the Army or, mil- or Marine, whatever it might be, because I love America, and I love the military, and I want to see America's interests move forward. I would say it's a very low percentage. Yeah. I think like what you're saying is the actual truth is I had no other option. Like right. I came from poverty. I don't really know. Th- I just graduated from high school. Maybe I have a GED. I don't know what to do with my life, so I'm going to go join the yeah. military. That's that's the majority. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. It, and, and I don't mind that. I'm sure the Army doesn't mind that, oh, no. and that's been a thing for We're years. Using. And will change uh, their it, life. Now, um, I have a pastor friend who who pastored outside of Fort Campbell. He started a church in 2001, and he, he didn't plan this, obviously. But 9-11 happened the week before he started his church. And then what happened after that, all the God and country people like came running to the sound of the cannon fire. Mm-hmm. And so he said, man, that first, you know, f- five, ten years, it was God and country people who were going to fight the bad guys. Uh, and they, they were going to protect America. You yeah, know? <laughs> and, the good old boys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where now, after, unfortunately, you know, we can, we, you know, we can talk about this a little bit, too. Um, I, I feel sick. Like 10th Mountain Division, where I was at, um, is the most deployed division of the U.S. Army. And so they, uh, they were in the worst parts of Iraq, the worst parts of Afghanistan. Fortunately, we never lost anybody that was um, in our church, but many guys got blown up. Many guys lost friends over there um, and suffered a great deal of loss. And suffering loss is fine as long as the sacrifice was worth it. But now with Afghanistan, you know, we just, you know, all the shame of how we left and everything like that, I imagine that plays into the soldier's psyche. Yeah, yes, sir. As well. Oh, but let's let's talk about uh, what are some of the basic tips for a soldier. Um, so I'm coming to you. Um, I don't know. 
19, 25 years old, I'm having marital issues. What are some of the basic things that you would uh, counsel? That's a great question. So uh, 19 years old, I would, I would say like we got to first start off with communication. I think that's a, a big issue because they don't really know how to communicate at that age. Um, like you said earlier, they're just, they're so used to doing their own thing that they don't know how to mend with another human being. So I would say communication is one of the first things I start with. Um, there's a book out there, five love languages. I think that's a okay. super valuable, Yeah, super valuable, like learning what your spouse's love language is and stop being, as the world is not revolving around you. What is, what does your spouse need? Like, how do I fulfill their needs? And trying to get them to think like that. But most times they're just naturally selfish and they just don't understand how to think about another human. So those two things, communication and finding out what your spouse's love language is. Okay. That's where I start. Okay. How about with uh, guys suffering from anxiety and depression? What are, what are some of the things that you would start with there? So I love, <clears throat> in my counseling sessions, I would say it's like 70-30, them talking the majority. I Sure. I You're just that. asking questions. I love asking questions. Love I, w- I will peel that onion all day long. You know, um, do you know Mike Metzger? He is, um, he's worked for 43 years over at First Bible. Um, he was on here recently. Yesterday. Yesterday. And that's exactly, he said, most counseling is just asking uh, questions. Knowing the right questions. And, and he, uh, yeah, he seldom puts his opinion or input other than pointing to, to, to scripture. Now, how do you think that this truth would uh, flesh out in your life and things? But yeah, so 70, 30. I'll have to go watch that podcast. Yeah, I saw it yeah. today. But yeah, yeah, it just went up like last night or something like that. Yeah. So I'm glad, you know, we're talking about the same thing. So yeah, so anxiety, depression. Yeah, so I, I want to find out, I want to get down to the, the heart of the issue, like wh- what's causing all this, and then then I can start doing that spiritual assessment, like wh- where do I go in the Bible, or it might even just be practical things. It doesn't necessarily have to be spiritual. It could just be practical things that, you know, maybe we should stop doing that, this, this, and that, and the other thing. But Yeah. Yes, sir. So you just try to take an a, a overall assessment? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that I you know I do and I um, Tony Saxon's really big into this too, okay. So he he's I had been on this podcast too, and he's he's been diagnosed bipolar and things like that. Um, but he always talks about the trichotomy of man. Is this chocolate thunder? Chocolate thunder. Chocolate thunder. Okay. Mar- I just mar- married sugar. to brown sugar. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you know he spirit, soul, and body is is the order in scripture. It's not body, soul, and spirit. You know he always talks about. You're ministering to your spirit. You're also ministering to your soul, which is um, the seat of your emotions, like your relationships in your life. And, um, you know, your different experiences in life. And then body, you know, you're ministering to those three things. So that would be like a holistic approach because God didn't make you all spirit. Uh, He didn't make you all soul. And he didn't make you all body. So a lot of times, like with military, I'm sure, you know, Working out is not an issue. For most Americans, it is dull. Uh, I mean, statistics show that exercise is 1.5 times more effective than um, drugs, like prescription drugs or therapy. So if I'm talking to somebody, say, hey, you know, why don't you go for a walk every day? Yeah, <laughs> also, this, uh, believe it or not, that's going to help your depression. It's going to help your outlook. Go out and get some sunshine, get some fresh air. Uh Huff and puff a little bit, maybe mm-hmm. work up a little bit of sweat during the day. And I, I think that's, um, you know, 
good uh, Bible counseling. Yeah. Yeah, so your spirit, you know, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ, you know. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about how uh, you can feed yourself daily from the Word of God, how you can minister to your spirit. Uh, what are the relationships in your life like? Mm-hmm. How can we make those better? And then, you know, ministering to that physical aspect and uh, doing it that way. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, how does one become a chaplain? Okay, so, yeah, that's a good question. Um, before, yeah, I don't have all oh. that over here. Yeah, go, um, yeah, let's go. So it's interesting because the Army ha- has had such a big influence on, or initiative on PT. Like, obviously, like, mm-hmm. it's a big thing in the Army, like, do PT. And then behavioral health has also been like a large entity like there's throwing money at behavioral health big time so big so time. that would be an interesting study as well because per capita in the military you have more psychologists um count um um yeah like yeah more counselors than any other portion of society mm-hmm. bar none oh yeah yet the anxiety depression suicide rate is off the charts mm-hmm. Compared to, a, you know, a sampling of society. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's just an interesting study. I don't is. know what to make of that. I can't it draw is. a conclusion. So, but um, the big wigs in the army have realized, like, we, although we have behavioral health and they're very healthy, although we have PT and we're doing all these things for our ready and resilient bodies, um, we're still not meeting the goal of, of readiness. Why is that happening? Um, so they, they started just recently over like the last three years, like emphasizing the role of the chaplain. There's a spiritual element to this as well. Yeah. So, um, we're kind of all finally getting together and like, we're we're coming up with that trifecta of, I, I think the pendulum is coming back away from secularism. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in it's, um, I think, I think that people are looking for spiritual answers, uh, you know, and I hope that they don't look in the wrong areas. But even society and psychology as a whole um, is getting away from the standard counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, like right now, I'm ta- uh, like Harvard, um, different big schools of medicine are studying in depth psychedelics. Mm. You know, like um, drugs. Yes. Yeah, like um, in in groups through uh, coaches, and you know, they're sending people on like psychedelic trips to find themselves. Mm-hmm. Because they realize that is the counseling is not really solving their issue. It's like putting a bandaid over some sort of issue. Um, so they're so what I'm saying is they're they're now they're kind of turning towards spirituality as a whole. And I, um, yeah, I really think too. You know, you got that uh, big LGBTQ movement. To me, it's it's more like a, a religion, mm-hmm. um, and it's a group that you can be a part of. And it's like got their own ideas about life and. You know, individualism and things like that. It is a religion, but um, I, I'm not surprised that the military as a whole saying, "Okay, the pendulum has swung towards secularism." Because when I was there, like everybody had a counselor. Every it seemed like everybody was depressed. A lot of people were on antidepressants yeah. at a young age and very healthy. Absolutely. Again, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you what these. But I, I think, man, you're at the your, your pinnacle of your age and health and everything else. And we've got to um, alter the chemistry of your brain so that they realize. And so they're realizing that that is not the answer. We need to look towards the um, 
chaplaincy. I think a lot of prisons are the same way as well. That's why they accommodate people coming in, religious people coming in. They'll vet them and everything, but they want, they realize that the um, inmates who are participating in church services, who are reading their Bibles, or even other um, faiths end up behaving better. It's interesting. Yeah. Interesting connection. So that's good. I'm glad the yeah. military is pushing that yeah, way. We're, we felt like we were kind of being set to the side. Oh, that's just, you know, something that you can do. It's an optional thing. But now they're like, well, and I think it was kind of like, well, it's a, it's a military tradition. So we'll carry on the tradition of the chaplaincy. Now we roll. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Isn't that funny? It's okay, let's, I, kn- I know, before we get to how, what it takes to be a chaplain. Um, so you're. Your commander in chief is who? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Yeah. JB. Um, and and so when you're when you're in the military, you can't and I you can't speak critically of your commander in chief, correct? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I you know I always knew that. Uh, it was funny because we had a military church and we had uh, Chuck Harding. You know you know Chuck mm-hmm. Harding, yeah. and uh, man, it was on Sunday morning. And I was like. Man, brother, you know, brother, brother Hardy does a great job, great preacher. And we have a man, we support him, yada, yada, yada. But, man, he's, on a Sunday morning, it was mostly soldiers, he started railing <laughs> against Barack Obama at the time, you know, calling him a Muslim <laughs> and a traitor right. <laughs> and all this stuff. And I was like, stop, these guys work for him. You, you, want, your, uh, you want your military to be uh under authority you don't want them going rogue yeah and overthrowing the government um and so well, yeah that's something that you i mean, we're a lot you know we talk about politics a lot you know yeah. at the coffee table um so it definitely happens we but what we're told to do is like not post anything on social media not sure go on podcasts and like condemn the u.s government things like yeah, so you can't, uh, yeah, as as a military officer, you can't have a podcast that, you know, uh, you're campaigning for Trump and, uh, you know, yeah. demonize, and you can't do the reverse either. Yes. From what I understand, you know, you can't, uh, it's not a political entity. Mm-hmm. I remember I, I had a job at the FAA, and it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot campaign or hand out literature for some, like, presidential candidate or whatever else because you were... Uh, an employee of the federal government. So I don't. So we could. I would just have to do it like this and not tell anybody. Like I, I'm Soldier Joe Perdicone, and I endorse this. Like I couldn't yeah. do that. I could be like, I'm Joe Perdicone, and but here. you could not in uniform for sure. No. Yeah, we we um, we had gone down to uh, Washington D.C. one time when I was pastor at a military church, and we had a master sergeant in our church, Corey Chartier. He's uh, he's been on the podcast. Uh, he's now a missionary in India. But uh, he got permission to wear his uniform down in D.C. And it was funny because, um, man, you know, you got congressmen walking up and down the hallway. Well, they, they pause and, you know, hey, thank you for your service. Uh, Ted Cruz, you know, he walked right up to Ted because Ted Cruz was speaking to our group down there. We were down there with Capital Connection. I was Chuck Harding's group. And, um, oh, yeah, well, first Ted Cruz was speaking, and he – he pauses for a minute. There's hundreds of people there in this auditorium. Um, and he says, sir, I want to thank you. You know, points him out for, with his uh, uniform on. I want to thank you for your service and blah, you know, and went on. And uh, Corey was like, man, you know, 
I shouldn't have worn my uniform because he felt like he's getting all this undue or all this attention. It's kind of like, hey, look at me. I'm a soldier. Um, so, yeah, there's certain things you can't do in the uniform, Yes, which I understand. I appreciate. Yeah. So be politically unaffiliated. Yeah, you're a soldier. And, like, if you can't work for your commander-in-chief, then get out. Yeah. You know, do something else. Yeah. Sometimes you have to hold your nose and keep on going. Yes. And you, um, I'd say, respect the position if you can't respect the person. Mm-hmm. You yes. know? Absolutely. If some sort of orders are against your conscience, then, again, they will get you out of there for you. Yes. Yeah, you well, well, swear an oath to the Constitution. Whoever is the president, the Constitution says that's who we serve. So. Yeah. Now, is there any lines in the sand as far as for yourself personally? Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of lines in the sand that, that I would just resign immediately, but I've not encountered that yet. I was you, close with COVID. I was very close. Okay. I sucked it up. Okay. Um, how how about, uh, do you see any um, anything being persecuted, you know, any of these chaplains being got to toe the line as far as like same sex marriage things like that as of right now it's it's very uh chaplain friendly the okay. army is i yes. don't know about the navy and air force i can't speak for them but yeah. for the army like as of right now the endorser is still our bo- our professional boss and tell the folks what an endorser is so the endorser is like a an, an outside agency with your faith group that looks at you and says yeah you meet all the qualifications from our faith group to represent us in the army or military, so okay. Now, who's your faith group? Uh, my faith group is Independent Baptist, so I'm with All Points Baptist Missions. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I thought there was a missions agency. Yeah. So, like uh, the Southern Baptists have one. Yeah, it's probably yeah, numerous, like yeah. every denomination has one, at least one. Yeah, and um, there's all sorts. Of, isn't there like Wiccan chaplains too in the military? Not, not yet. Oh, there's not. They really want one. They really want because like, isn't like one percent of the military or something like that Wiccan or Wiccan and Jedi's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Everybody okay. wants to be something. The big thing these days is Norse paganism. A lot of Norse pagans because of the religious accommodation to get a beard. So everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm Norse. That is funny. Like it just skyrocketed. They're, they don't <laughs> actually believe in <laughs> Thor. And it could Odin. be a Rastafarian man. Yeah. Grow, grow your dreadlocks out or whatever. Yeah, there's been a few different soldiers came to me that they wanted to smoke. I can't remember what it's called, but smoke a certain drug that's associated with that one. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but... Marijuana? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people want exemptions for marijuana, but there's another one out there, but I can't remember what it's called, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, at least as of right now, as we speak, the chaplains are kind of like their own select group. They're accountable to whoever their s- sponsor is in there so your religious liberties are protected yes. yeah so if you were my commander you came to me and said chaplain i need you to go do the same-sex marriage for these two soldiers over here i could say unfortunately sir my endorser would not allow me to do that yeah and and he, there's nothing that and you say hey go talk to bob the methodist man he'll do it oh yeah absolutely there's tons <laughs> of chaplains that will do it oh sure yeah, yeah sure it's not this one so um so how do you become a chaplain all right so how to become a chaplain um you have to have a, a bachelor's degree in something that's um, of your faith group. So I'm going to talk from a Christian perspective because it's too yeah. hard to talk about all of them. So yeah. from a Christian perspective, Baptist perspective, you have to have a pastoral degree as an undergrad. And then um, you have to go get a master's of divinity at a accredited school. They prefer an accredited schools. They do make exceptions for not accredited, but like it's very hard. You okay. have to get like these wash letters. It's very complicated. So might as well just go to an accredited school. 
And in the midst of there, you also need to get ordained as a pastor, as a minister, and then you also have to get an endorser. Those are the, the big four. Bachelors, masters, ordained, and <clears throat> wherever, endorser. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So if there's somebody listening out there that they're thinking about becoming a chaplain, how would you how would you pitch it to them? I mean, what um how 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 do you you know, how could the Lord use them as a chaplain? I'm it's funny, I, I am a big recruiter for chaplains. Like okay. if I I just uh, just have a friend right now who's graduating from um, the, the officer course down in South Carolina right now to be a chaplain in the army. Uh, and he, he and I went to Bible college way back in 2004 together. Okay. So, how um, old is he? So he's, he's going to be 37 years old, just like me. Wow. And he's old just man. now going in. Okay. Uh, but the way I recruited him was, you know, like he's a normal person, which is, I think it's a big criteria. Like, yes. I don't, we have so many weird Weirdos. chaplains. I just, if I'm not going to put my stamp really well. yeah. on somebody who's not. I'm not even going to tell them that the chaplaincy exists yeah. if they're a weirdo. Like, yeah. you'll be a, you're a little IFB pastor somewhere else. Um, <laughs> but I knew he was a normal guy, and I knew he had his bachelor's. And I, so I told him, hey, uh, I told him about the, the program. I said, here's a bunch of the benefits that you and your family would experience. So I, I do leave with benefits because for some reason, you know, we're, we're human. Yeah, you got to take care of family. take care of your family. So I leave with benefits, and I kind of explain the, the cons, you know, you might deploy here and there, things of that nature. But I definitely lead with the benefits and the opportunities because in, in the yeah. military, there there is a hunger. I wouldn't say a hunger. There's a void of uh, religious understanding. And because yeah. of that, there's a great opportunity. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, the, the hunger is not there, but there's an opportunity. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I can't even imagine. Um, it, it was awesome being um, pastor of a military church. It... Um, it was fatiguing because, man, these people, they, they, I mean, they, to me, it was like some of the greatest people in the world from all over the world. Um, you know, our church was like the United Nations. Hmm. And it was really a, um, a true picture of, like, what heaven's going to be like because all people, nations, languages, and tongues, like, inside, you know, heaven. And so, you know, inside your church building, it's funny how different groups, like, for instance, you know, you talked about the Samoan religion or whatever. Uh, but I never heard of the island of Palau. You, did you ever hear of Palau? No. Okay, that's funny because we first had a couple in our church, um, Jose and Maria, and the last name was Pedro. I just always called him Pedro because everyone calls you know everybody by the last name. So he he ended up being my fishing buddy, and they were in our church for almost five years. But they both got saved in our church got baptized, and um, their family came faithfully to our church. Well, we ended up having like four or five Palauan families, and, wow. it, and it's a, it is um, some, somewhere close to Japan. There's only 30,000 people. It's its own nation. And so, you know, I used to joke we have half the nation uh, <laughs> in our church. Uh, the Filipinos are the same way. I just talked to a fella, uh, Greg, on the phone, and uh, Greg and Apple were members of our church, and um, – Man, very dear people, but again, you had that Filipino community, and he'd always bring me to to um, talk to his Filipino friends about the Lord and things. And then you have people from Africa. We had people from Ghana, um, and you know, we have African Americans like around here, but not like. Well, let's see. We I uh, know the Haitians. We've been having some Haitians visit, but it's neat to have somebody like right out of their country inside your church. And so it was kind of like. Uh, the military was kind of like the book of Acts in reverse. Like, 
pastor in a military church. I didn't have to move anywhere. Everyone was moving in. Um, I knew about three years in, pastor in military church is like, man, I can't handle the constant rotation for the rest of my life. It's too sad. Yeah. Because <laughs> meet people, some really good people and then they leave. Oh, yeah. And you don't, I mean, you don't see them anymore. I mean, you, you know, you text from time to time, but they're busy. You're busy. Uh, and so, you know, I, I knew, and it's funny, you know, nine years I pastored there, but when I stopped pastoring there, it was kind of like getting out of the army mm. <laughs> because the army, but I thought as a chaplain, especially these guys when they got deployed, because we were there during the height of the surge. And these guys, I remember, I think it was about 2010, 2011, uh, during Obama's surge. And the our, our guys, the 10th Mountain Division of the Army, they were replacing the 101st Airborne Division. And they had suffered like almost 50% casualties wherever they were going. And our guys are going in uh, to where the 101st is pulling out of. Uh, so they're really worried about death, their families, they're never seeing their kids again and all these things. Um, and I would have loved, now I can't tell you how I'd behave in war. Maybe I'd curl up in a ball and start crying. <laughs> I have no idea. But if if I was a chaplain, man, I could be deployed. Now, I wouldn't leave the base. They don't give you a gun. No. But at least I could be there for those guys through that whole thing. Um, and I think that would be so cool. I mean, you'd have so much opportunity uh, being a chaplain where you wouldn't being a military church pastor. Sure. So, so leading up to that, did you tailor your sermons to kind of help do that process? I did. And I, I think really, um, you know, if, if you're a good pastor, you spend time with your people. And then when you're spending time with your people, you know, you kind of see their needs and you don't really design your sermons for felt needs, but, uh, you are preaching to a particular group of people. Um, so, so yes, you know, I would, uh, for instance, if, if I'm teaching on the home and, um, how that, uh, the wife is the weaker vessel and guys, when you get deployed, don't be telling your wife that your buddy just died yeah. and that, you know, you cause they do that. And then their wife is like worried sick. Mm-hmm. It's like she does not need to carry that burden, you know. So you know, I would make some of the application, you know, towards them, and um, you know, di- you know, different things. So yeah, and I I think if I would if I would have stayed pastoring there, I would have just gotten better and better at ministering to military. Uh, you know, that select group of people with specific needs. Uh, unfortunately, like at forty four years of age. I'm like so much older. (laughs) (laughs) They look at me like a dinosaur, which is really funny because I don't consider myself old. Uh, And it was funny because the Lord has you. I I took that church when I was 30 and I came here when I was 39. Wow. So somebody said, man, you know, pastor in the 30s, you know, that's really young. Um, But it wasn't for the bulk of the church. I was older than them and I was just like one more life stage up. So I think it was kind of like in the sweet spot, in a sense. Now, again, I, I'm sure I could do a better job t- today because I'm older and, you know, you learn from your mistakes and things like uh, that. But uh, it wasn't a bad thing that I was, you know, between 30 and 39 because I wasn't too far off from them. Still relatable. Yeah, still relatable. Mm-hmm. My kids might have been a little bit older than theirs or, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, that was neat. So, 
Were, were there a lot of, uh, was there an increase in assurances of their salvation leading up to deployments? You know, um, yes. And some of it I think was superficial and some of it was real. For instance, it was, it was funny when um, like 2010, 2011, man, like a lot of our Sunday services were packed. I mean, because there's family coming into town too. And like everywhere, like I don't know, like half the church, like half. That's like no exaggeration. And it was funny because like the next Sunday, like 50% of the people weren't there the last Sunday. And it was like all fresh new faith. It's probably similar to the chapel. And I'm sure the chapel is going through the same thing. So in the midst of that, and I, I've heard, you know, stories too, especially, you know, like Navy chaplains and stuff, like, um, you know, ship goes down or whatever, and the chapel's packed after that. Or, you know, the breakout of Desert desert Storm, you know, where there, you know, actually might be jets flying by and dropping bombs on the, sh- you know, they'll. Uh, so, yeah, we had full services. It would be funny, too, because um, we're not funded by the United States government, so we don't have an endless supply of, of money uh, to su- support our church. We, you know, have a real, you know, real bills. And everything. It's funny. We would have, like, a packed-out service. And then um, the offering would be like really low. That <laughs> 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 was really funny. And then toward, towards the end of my tenure there, it was like very solid, very stable, you know, plenty. But yeah, sometimes we'd have packed, packed out um, services. I remember one Easter, I only was there for like two or three years at the time. Um, we, we had over 300 people. We had two services. Uh, and again, it wasn't like a solid church of 300. It was really like a church of about 30 with about 270 guests, <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. constant guests. And that, and that's cool about the military ministry. Again, um, you, we have people coming to town for training. Uh, I don't know how many people I, I've like had lunch with, um, talk about, you know, personal issues with them that's going on and they're leaving town next week. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't even remember these people's names. So you're casting your bread on the water constantly, and they don't they don't know they don't remember my name, either you know by now, yeah. but I did play a part in their life, mm-hmm. and so with the military, yeah, you are meeting diverse people from all over the world, because in the military, um, you can join the United States Army from any nation on earth, correct? I'm sure there's there's a list of countries that are are gone. So probably if you're Afghanistan or 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 you know Iran or something, you can't. But um, we had people from all different countries in mm-hmm. Africa, mm-hmm. Filipinos, South Americans, um, Laos, like diff- different Asian countries, and then there would be a pathway to citi- to citizenship, yeah. so they could join. And and I I'm. I was all, I'm all for that. Now you probably don't want like half your army being foreign, but like a certain percentage, like, okay, you want to be a United States citizen, join the army and we'll give you a pathway to citizenship. And mm-hmm. that way they have, um, fought for, defended our country. Uh, and they're going to, you know, have more value and respect for our country as they become citizens of the United States. Um, it's almost like a lottery from a few yeah. of the soldiers I've talked to that have been from other countries, especially from the, the, African countries, like when they get selected to be, you know, to go into the military or whatever, it's like winning the lottery. It's not everybody that applies gets oh, it. Oh, yeah. So they are very thankful for that opportunity. Because they yeah. all dream, I want to go oh, live in America man. someday. 
we had a very sweet couple. I, I, I don't know. Um, lost contact with them. I should be on Facebook more. I'll probably be able to find out real quick. But um, a couple, Pep and Ishmael Bannerman, and they were um, from Ghana, and they were both citizens, I'm sure, by now. A married couple. He was a, a dental hygienist. He already had that degree that he had in Ghana. And then he was schooling to be a chaplain. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Pep and Ishmael, they're both in the military. I can't remember what her MLS was. Um, I, I learned all these uh, uh, acronyms. Cool acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they're driving, like, you know, old BMWs and stuff. I'm sure that the people back in their country thought, wow, they made the big time. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. I mean, by Ghana standards, I'm sure they're filthy rich. Oh, yeah. You know, doing really well. So, I, yeah, I imagine that's like a dream come true, American dream, you know, jo- joining the Army. and Yeah, that's so, a great opportunity. So, sure. yeah. I mean, it changes the, the entire trajectory of their generations at that point. Absolutely. That's why I try in, to tell. In, in their kids, too, you're talking about the, the, um, the benefits. Um most states now that yeah, if you're a, a military veteran that is uh, retired, your kids. I think in the state of New York, it's up to a master's degree for free. Oh wow, something like That's that. That's huge. Yeah, and particularly like a lot of guys that get out are um, get some disability. Yeah. yeah. And so if you're a disabled veteran, again, that puts you in a special bracket, and yeah, you're gonna have benefits for the rest of your life. Your kids are gonna have free college. Um, yeah, you're going to be taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I try to tell that to some of these guys that are, you know, they're coming from these these backgrounds, and I'm like, you can break the cycle. Your granddad did this, your your dad did this, and, like, they're just stuck in the cycle of whatever community they come from. Like, you can break that cycle. And yeah. And your kids can have a much better, like, the, the life you're having right now is great compared to what your dad had, but now your kids can have an even better life than you're having as long as you just keep your nose clean and just keep working hard. Get out of that cycle. Yeah. Don't go back to your old uh, neighborhood. Yeah. When you get out. Absolutely. Even, yeah. even if you just do four years, like for the rest of your life, you're going to be known as a veteran and like you're going to have veteran benefits, things of that nature. So like, it's a good life. Just keep your nose clean. Sometimes people make stupid mistakes just like in life. Oh you know, yeah. But you know, doing drugs or yeah. crime, even inside yeah. the military and like that. Oh yeah. That will ruin you. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's, yeah, they, they struggle with all those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've dealt with soldiers. That I remember one guy, he, he was um, he had over 18 years and uh, got kicked out of the Army for smoking crack. Come on. I mean, and, and this was like multiple times. Two years away. Because they'll send you to rehab. Oh. He was sent to rehab. And then also, um, I know at one point he had that du- uh, like extra duty to where that he was like busy from like <laughs> 7 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, like every single day of the week. So that yeah. way he... Didn't have the time to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, Still found it. <laughs> Still <laughs> found it. Yes. Wow. Um, so they do deal with those issues. But, but yeah, no, it's a great place. I, hey, I think you talked me into it, man. I think I'm going to be a chaplain. If I had known you a couple of years ago, I would definitely recruit you. <laughs> you now I'm too old, huh? We, we might be able to get a waiver for you. It's possible. Yeah. Okay. I've heard of it. Okay. Because I think. Uh, 44. I, I could pass my 42. PT test, man. I would. 42. 42. Yeah, that's what they say. That's the limit. That's the, the cutoff is forty two to enter in, but they do make waivers, and then they all, they'll also make waivers on the back end. So you need to do twenty years to retire. 
they will do 18 year, 17, 19 oh, man, year. Return. I can be retired. Yeah. I could be retired in my early 60s. 62. That's the cutoff oh, on the my back goodness. end. Yeah. So let me I can swing that. Okay. I'll put it back in for you. Hey, man, thanks for being on today. I appreciate it a lot. Thanks for your me. Your father has been on the podcast. Your father-in-law has been on the podcast as well, and he's a great guy. Yeah. And now, now you're on here, so it's like a family uh, tradition. Yes. So next time you're in town, man, come back on, okay? Yeah, yes, sir, absolutely. All right. Hey, God bless you, and I want to thank everybody for listening. Oh, one more thing. I have an announcement. I, for, I was going to do it at the beginning of the podcast, but I forgot. October 27th. Uh, we are having a rally here for New York Baptist for Biblical Values, and Dr. David Gibbs is preaching, and Dr. Johnny Pope is preaching oh, wow. that night. Two of my favorite people. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Didn't you have Johnny Pope in when uh, you were youth pastor here? Yeah, he did a youth rally for us. Amazing. Uh, oh, yeah. And David Gibbs. I mean, pretty much everybody. Uh, there's something wrong with you if you don't know who David Gibbs is, you know. Yes. Um, so those guys are going to be here for that night. One night, one night only, October 27th. So please put that on your calendars and please be here, and it'll be a great evening. So God bless each and every one, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening today to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you can, leave us a five-star rating on your podcast app. We'd appreciate that very much. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us by emailing us at pastoralthoughtsmail at gmail.com. And you can find out more about us at pastorjack.org. God bless you and have a wonderful day.